Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. My name is Jeremy Moore. I'm pastor of discipleship here at Southridge. want to welcome you here in person. want to welcome those who are watching online. And uh, this is kind of a treat. Uh, maybe a handful of times a year, I get to do the teaching on Sunday morning. So it's kind of a treat that I get to kind of uh, lead this this morning. And I want to start with prayer, and then we're going to jump right in. So let's, let's pray. God, as we just pause to feed on your word, I just pray your spirit would awaken us in whatever way that we need to be awakened. I pray, God, that you would move us toward change where change is needed the most. God, just bring your word alive. May it not simply be words on a page, but God, may it just be active and living in our lives as we listen to this teaching. Um, God, we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So right around the time Hurricane Ida happened, I was driving through a neighborhood about an hour away in Pennsylvania, and I was driving through this neighborhood, and I, I noticed that these trees, pretty sturdy-looking trees, had gotten blown over by the gale force winds of the hurricane. And what struck me was, if I had driven through that neighborhood any other day before the hurricane, I probably would have guessed that those trees would still be standing. They looked pretty sturdy. They were pretty big. They seemed to be pretty well-rooted. But um, these enormous trees basically just blew over, exposing. There's a pretty superficial root system, and they were planted in pretty weak soil. Um, in contrast, I'm, I'm kind of looking at some of these other trees that don't look as sturdy, trees that were like maybe a little skinnier, a little scrawnier. You kind of would say to yourself, yeah, a hurricane would probably blow that over. And they were still standing. And so I looked at these trees and said, you know, the roots must go deep. Um, it must be strong soil, and the roots, the root system must go deep. We're starting a series this morning called Roots and Fruits. And uh, I, like the, um, I like the graphic, don't you? It's kind of summery, sort of breezy and summery and yellow. Um, it's kind of fun. It's a series about what our lives are rooted in. So for today and uh, for the next seven weeks, we're going to be in this series. What are our lives rooted in and what is either growing or maybe rotting because of what we've rooted our lives in? So we're going to talk about that. We have a guiding passage for the series, Galatians 5, verses 13 to 26. Now, by the end of the teaching, we'll kind of arrive at the first few verses of that guiding passage and just take a look at one principle from them. But what I want to do is I want to take a step back and I want to do a flyover to give you some context to fully engage in this series. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the background and the big picture for the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians is one of the first New Testament books that was written around AD 50, so just a couple of decades after uh, Jesus died, rose again, and ascended. Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to the network of churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia was located in Asia Minor, like you'll see on the map that just came up on the screen. It's located in kind of the central northern part of Asia Minor, which currently is the country of Turkey today. As Jesus' movement spread globally, a network of churches sprang up in the region of Galatia. And there were a couple of reasons for this. Uh, first, if you read Acts 2, 
Peter got up and preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and the scriptures tell us that 3,000 people turned to Christ. Now, a lot of those people were in town for the holiday, for the feast of Pentecost. And so they went back to where they came from, and these folks who had actually received Christ started churches. Secondly, just a number of chapters later, we read in the book of Acts chapter 8 that persecution started in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was sort of the home base for the first followers of Christ who started a church. And what happened was they were forced to move out to different regions because of persecution. And the scriptures tell us they started churches wherever they went. And then thirdly, the apostle Paul uh, focused in on the region of Galatia on a number of his missionary journeys. So he strengthened the churches that existed there from, that, had, that, were, that already existed, and he started new churches. Now, back then, there wasn't text, email, FaceTime, Zoom. Um, so the way he would follow up with these churches is he would write letters. And these letters, through the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a number of them have ended up in our New Testament, and Galatians is one of those letters. Um, the letters of Paul in the New Testament have different flavors, um, you might read a letter like Philippians, and it's almost pure encouragement. Some of the letters are a little more hard-hitting. They address issues or conflicts that arose in the, in the ancient church, first century church. Uh, Galatians is one of those letters. It's a little more hard-hitting, and Paul is actually addressing an issue that came up in the, the, the Galatian churches in that region. Paul loves these churches, um, he's ministered to these churches. He's sat at the tables with these people. He's eaten with them. He's loved them. He's invested in them. Um, he's, he's lived with them. And so we're going to hear that in his tone. We're going to hear that he's earned the right to speak boldly into their lives. He doesn't pull any punches in addressing a big problem. That's our first point, a big problem. Uh, Dennis is going to come back up, and he's actually going to read a, a, a few verses from the intro of Galatians to illustrate Paul addressing this big problem. And then we're going to talk about what the problem was. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in grace, in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. All right, so maybe you caught this. The big problem is that a false or counterfeit gospel was being taught. Here's what that looked like. Here were the circumstances. The earliest followers of Jesus were Jewish. Uh, but with the salvation of Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10, non-Jewish people started to come to faith in Christ. And the body of Christ started to explode with non-Jewish people along with Jewish people who were uh, worshiping together in local communities whose faith was in Christ together. Now, this was beautiful, but it was also very disruptive and it was very difficult. Um, you, you, in the ancient Near East, you almost couldn't get two groups of people that were more culturally different than Jews and Gentiles. So it was very difficult. And so now a conflict arose. These uh, Jewish teachers were teaching in the Galatian churches that if Gentile Christians didn't fully follow the ceremonial customs of the law of Moses, like eating kosher or being circumcised, they would not be fully accepted by God, and they, could, they were not living lives that were glorifying to God. 
So here was the big problem with that. It ran counter to the gospel taught by Jesus, Paul, and all the apostles. The gospel taught by Jesus, Paul, and the apostles is that people are justified and sanctified, not by human effort, but by God's grace. We're declared righteous when we recognize that we can't heal ourselves. When we recognize there's nothing we can do to make our relationship right with God. And when instead we come to Jesus and in faith we invite Jesus to heal us. We look to Jesus for salvation. And in response to this repentance and belief, uh, God adopts us as his children, his heirs, his loved ones, ones he delights in, ones he fully accepts. We're indwelled with God's spirit. And when we're indwelled with God's spirit, as we walk in daily relationship with God, God makes us into people who are like Jesus. He grows in us the righteousness that he's so freely declared over us by his grace. So these so-called gospel teachers were teaching a gospel that almost couldn't have been more different than the gospel that Paul was teaching. The gospel that these teachers taught was basically, if you master a checklist of moral principles and practices, then you can attain right relationship with God. The gospel that Paul taught was, as people place their faith in Jesus, God declares them right with him. God gives them his spirit, and God increasingly grows their righteousness so that their lives look like the lives of Jesus ever more increasingly. Paul powerfully contrasts these two gospels, the gospel of God's grace and the gospel of human effort. I'm going to invite Dennis back up to the stage, and he's actually going to read a passage from Galatians 3, where you'll see Paul contrasting these two Gospels uh, so powerfully. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you'd heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So Paul says, guys, we need more than an external moral checklist for life change to happen. The whole reason, Galatians, that God, so God died for you, freely invited you into relationship with him, is so his living presence could be in you. And so there could be change from the inside out, not just pasted on. And he, uh, he spends the rest of the book unpacking three different approaches to life change. And we're going to represent those this morning with three trees. So we got three trees here. Uh, one approach to life change that we often take uh, we'll call moral performance. Let's write that right here, moral performance. This approach says, um, if I master the moral checklist, if I try really hard and I master the moral checklist, then I can attain right relationship with God, and then I can maintain a God-glorifying lifestyle. Uh, We can sum up this approach by saying, follow the rules. Follow the rules. On this approach, um, the emphasis is, you know, I know the law says to love my neighbor, but I kind of feel bitterness 
against my neighbor in my heart. I kind of have unresolved conflict with my neighbor. But you know what? If I just sort of manage that on the outside, then I can behave. I can behave, and it'll almost be as if I'm loving my neighbor. So follow the rules, follow the rules. The problem with this approach is it's rooted in human effort. Human effort. Another approach that we often take to life change, we might call self-direction. Self-direction. Self-direction says, uh, God's given me a conscience, and so when my conscience feels convicted by something or moved in a certain direction, then I'll sort of reach deep down inside myself, I'll find the willpower to do what's right. Again, the problem with this is it's rooted in human effort. We might sum up this self-direction approach as follow your conscience. Follow your conscience. Now, because both of these are rooted in human effort, they don't actually give us what we need to be transformed from the inside out. Because both of these are rooted in human effort, it's like there's not enough nutrients in the soil. The roots are sort of not pulling in anything to sort of keep the fruit alive on these trees. And so it might even look for a season like a life is bearing fruit. A little bit like those trees that I saw in the uh, neighborhood. You know, it might even look like, wow, that's a strong tree. And so for a season, it might even look like these trees are bearing fruit. How about some, uh, oh, there we go. Let's use this one. Some red fruit would be nice. It might even look like these trees are bearing fruit. But this is fruit that doesn't last. It's fruit that quickly dies because it's not actually being nourished by anything that has the power to grow. Um, A way to think about it is this. Both of these approaches are a little bit like when you go to the doctor's office and you get a diagnosis. Both of these are like the diagnosis of the problem. The problem is that you and I, diagnosis, is that you and I uh, are diseased with a sinful heart. It's a heart that needs to be healed. It needs to be moved from being centered on itself and diseased by self-interest to being focused on God, glorifying him and serving others. But here's the problem. These approaches diagnose that problem, but they actually have no power to bring transformation. Uh, They are rooted in something, natural human ability, that can never change from the inside out. And so we're left with an external standard that we muster up enough willpower to adhere to. But willpower only goes so far. And so willpower runs out and the fruit quickly rots. And Paul's very clear about this in Galatians. He calls this slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. And so when this fruit rots, it leaves us in slavery to sin. Now, to rescue us from this slavery, we need more than just principles, rules, and ideas on the outside. We actually need a cure. 
We need a cure, not just a diagnosis. And so this third approach, which is Paul, what Paul focuses on, and he develops in Galatians chapter 5, which we'll take a look at over the next eight weeks, he develops the cure. And we might call the cure genuine relationship. Genuine relationship. The approach is this. Through my faith in Jesus... He declares me righteous. He makes me right with him. I receive his spirit when I believe, when I place my faith in him. And his spirit is growing in me the righteousness of Christ. And so as I lean into that, I experience transformation from the inside out. So my diseased heart is actually healed. It's made whole. It's cured. Uh, Paul actually calls that this. He calls it walking by the Spirit. So we might sum up this approach by saying walk by the Spirit. Rather than being rooted in human effort, it's able to transform. It's able to draw power from the roots to grow lasting fruit because it's rooted in the power of God's Spirit. And because it's rooted in the power of God's spirit, it grows fruit, and this fruit lasts. And because of that, we have what we need to live in freedom from the slavery of sin. So Paul actually calls this approach freedom. Walk by the spirit. Walk by the Spirit. We're going to hear that over and over and over. Next week, the teaching is actually on walking by the Spirit. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Um, We might think of it in a couple of different ways. Walking by the Spirit is daily integrating my life with relationship with God. It's actively inviting his transforming power as I go through life. It's pursuing his grace and truth through prayer, through meditation on what he's revealed in scripture. It's leaning on his righteousness and on his power to guide me and to heal me rather than on my own effort. Now, we're going to unpack that repeatedly each week over the next seven weeks. But what I want to do is I want to take a look at one more passage, the first couple of verses of our guiding passage in Galatians 5. And so far we've looked at a big problem. We've looked at a better paradigm. That was our second point. And lastly, a practical, a practical difference. I want to take a look at one practical difference that it makes to walk by the Spirit. And each week thereafter, we're going to take a look at what does it look like, a little bit more and a little bit more each week, what does it look like practically, what practical difference does it make to walk by the Spirit? Uh, I'm going to invite Dennis back up. He's going to read Galatians 5, verses 13 to 16. Listen for the practical difference that Paul notes in these verses that it makes in our lives to walk by the Spirit rather than by human effort. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you won't do what you're prone to do in your basest desires if you're rooted in human effort. The specific thing that he notes is the antidote to biting and devouring each other is to walk by the Spirit. The power to love and serve each other humbly is it's rooted in the power of the Spirit, not in human effort. If we walk by human effort, he says, you will bite and devour each other, and that's going to destroy you. All of us can relate to that moment when it's easy. It's the most natural thing in the world to do in our flesh to bite and devour someone else. Um, if we think about whatever relationships those in, our, in this room have, maybe it's friendships or coworkers. For some of us, it's spouses or kids. Maybe you're having a conversation where you're sitting with a friend in a cafe uh, where you're sitting with a coworker in a meeting, you're driving with your spouse in the car, or maybe you're um, sitting at the dinner table with your kids, and somebody says something that just triggers you. I mean, it's just so devaluing, so disrespectful, and so hurtful. It just kind of like comes out of nowhere, and you feel totally triggered. We don't have what we need to respond by humbly loving and serving each other in that situation if the pattern of our life, if the paradigm that we're living is walk by human effort. We will bite and devour each other. But the more the pattern of our life is walk by the Spirit, we'll be able to draw from the roots of God's power and we'll be able to continue to grow the fruit of loving and serving one another will be able to respond by humbly loving and serving one another. And that doesn't look like ignoring the fact that you were hurt. It doesn't look like ignoring the fact that you felt disrespected. But what it does do is this. It gives you resources from outside yourself to be able to have that conversation, that difficult conversation, with grace and respect through the power of the Holy Spirit. A big problem, a better paradigm, and a practical difference. So recently, my parents had their 50th wedding anniversary, which is pretty cool. And we did a bunch of stuff to celebrate. Uh, we went to a play down at Sight and Sound, and we went out to eat, and we did some other things. One of the things we did is we went boating one day. So we went boating, and uh, a bunch of us rented canoes. And just to kind of honor my parents, like we rented them like kind of the big expensive sailboat. And so, um, so they're, they're in this sailboat, and they, they unfurl the sail. And I, I, I remember, like, sitting in my canoe, looking at this, this sail unfurl, and the wind just fill up this sail, and then just, like, powerfully move this boat forward with a momentum that was not due to human effort. And I, I remember thinking to myself, wow, that's majestic. That's amazing. I mean, nobody... Nobody really did anything except for just simply unfurl the sail. And just the power that, with which like, this boat is moving forward. Now just imagine if like, I were to take my little canoe paddle and like, I were to hop into that sailboat and kind of keep the sail closed and just start paddling like crazy. And just be like, all right, like, here, we're getting somewhere fast. It would be ridiculous because the boat wasn't made for that. It wasn't made 
to be paddled. It was made to unfurl the sail, and it was made for the wind of the wind, the momentum of the wind, to fill it and to move it forward. Now, as silly as that would be, you and I kind of do that all the time. Like we kind of say, all right, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I'm moving forward. I'm moving toward a more God-glorifying life. I'm doing it. I'm going to conquer this. But willpower only lasts so long, and and the fruit rots. What we need is something deeper. Uh, We need to draw nutrients from the power of God's Spirit And the power of God's spirit is like the wind that fills the sail of a sailboat. And and it moves it forward like paddling in the boat could never do. And our lives are like that. We were designed to unfurl our hearts and have the wind of God's spirit move us toward a God-glorifying life rather than just sort of managing the checklist and sort of paddling forward, two steps forward, three steps back on our own. This morning, uh, the worship team is going to come back to the stage. They're going to share a song with you. And we're going to take a time of reflection. The song uh, is called Sails. And one of the lines in the song says, I let out the sails of my heart. And it says to, to God, here I am, here you are. Let this powerful image set the tone, set the direction, set the course of not only your week, but this whole series This idea that we were designed to let out the sails of our heart and the the powerful wind of God's spirit to fill us and to move us toward lives that glorify God, lives of surrender to Jesus and humble service in love to each other. So pray that for yourself and let that powerful image set the course for this week and for this series as you reflect on this song.
morning, one of the things that we have the privilege to share together is communion. One of the verses that Dennis read earlier made it so clear that right at the center of what Paul is communicating in Galatians is the cross of Jesus Christ. Dennis read earlier in the service, before your very eyes, Paul says, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so just central to this is that Jesus died for us 
so his spirit could live in us, so that his spirit could do a transforming work in us and through us. What strikes me powerfully is that the same spirit that strengthened Jesus Christ to do the will of the Father is the spirit through his death that you and I have within us. On the night that Jesus was arrested and taken to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, he kneeled and prayed and said, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. And then he continued, by the power of God's spirit, not my will, but yours be done. The same spirit that just filled the wind of the sail of his heart and moved him in the direction of God-glorifying choices. That is the same spirit that lives in us. It's the same spirit that gives us power to say yes to God's purposes and to say no to slavery, to sin. It gives us what we need to say yes to true freedom and to say no to enslavement. And so this morning, we're going to remember the death of Jesus for us. Uh, Jesus gave us symbols to remember that. He said that the bread and the cup were these deep reminders of what it cost for us to belong to God and for us to be indwelled by the living presence of the Spirit. What it cost was his broken body and his blood poured out. And because his body was broken and his blood was poured out, you and I can unfurl the sails of our heart and the wind of God's Spirit could move us in the direction of glory to God rather than glory to ourselves. And so we want to take a few moments this morning as Sam plays quietly on the keys. Just want to invite you to find the station nearest you. Uh, take the bread, take the cup, bring it back to your seat. And once you do that, we're going to take some time just to reflect on those elements together. So I want to invite you to stand and, and to do that now. So just right in the comfort of your seat, just want to invite you to 
bow your head, spend some time with the Lord. Uh, thank the Lord for his love for you that was earned by Jesus on the cross. His passionate, unconditional love for you. Invite forgiveness. Just ask God to bring to mind uh, things that need forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Receive the forgiveness of Jesus that was earned on the cross. And just meditate on the reality that the living presence of God lives in you and in me and is healing and guiding us as we lean in faith into relationship. Let's just take some time with the Lord for a few moments. God, I just sense there are so many in this room who maybe were raised in legalistic homes, legalistic churches. God, churches that sort of talked about God's grace but lived a gospel of works, a gospel of human effort. God, we just acknowledge to you this morning that all of it is by grace. God, we are justified, and we're, as we walk with you, we are sanctified by grace. All of it's by your grace, Lord. We were just so tired of trying to live up to the good principles of the law or the things we sense in our conscience by our own effort and thinking somehow that will attain right relationship with you or maintain right relationship with you. And so, Lord, right now, we let go of that. And, God, we walk in the freedom of what you have earned and, God, what you're doing to bring freedom where there's slavery to sin. 
God, thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. God, thank you for your living spirit in us, in us that animates what would otherwise be dead. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the night that Jesus was arrested, he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. And Matthew 26, we read this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Let's take the body of Christ together. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's take the cup together. Earlier in the service, we sang one of my favorite songs, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Classic. So meaningful. As our response, as we close the service, we're going to stand and we're going to sing that once more together. Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. So stand with me and let's sing that together.
you would like somebody to pray for you, one, someone from our prayer team would love to do that. To my left here, where it says prayer team, just come on forward. Somebody would love to pray for you. If you're watching online, just click the button that says prayer. Again, somebody would love to pray for you. Um, God bless you. Have a restful Sunday and a great week. Thank you for making a priority out of worshiping together. See you again soon. Thank you.